Hi there, it's Brett. I'm back. Loren is now off. Today, Greg and I visited with Mayor Scott Gillingham. We talked things like crime, transit security, the police and fire games, and the sea bears. Bob Irving joined us to talk football, not just the Bombers and Lions on Thursday, but how bad are the Edmonton Elks? And inspired by my whirlwind trip through Westman, we asked you, what's a place you visited in Manitoba and you couldn't believe just how great it was? I'm Brett McGarry, alongside Greg Mackling and Loren McNabb, who's back next week. We are Mackling, McGarry and McNabb. This is the Monday, July 31st podcast for the start. It's Mackling and McGarry. McNabb is now off this week. I'm back after a whirlwind trip through Westman, and we'll get into that in a moment. But before that, there, in case you're just waking up and you're wondering what's happening in Australia, big match this morning, Greg, and it's not going so great so far for the home for, well... For our home team. For our home team. It's going very well for the home team down under. Australia leading Canada 2-0 at the half. And it's been ugly. Australia even had one goal called back. Uh, Their second goal was reviewed and upheld. Uh, They scored early. They've scored often. Two goals have counted. And Canada uh, needs a draw or a win. Australia has their backs against the wall to emerge from this, this group stage. And they are answering the bell. Canada so far is not. So Canada needs a draw or a win and Australia just needs a win? They need a win. Okay. Yeah, to advance. So Canada's in some some serious trouble. This is not like hockey where, you know, you're down to nothing after the first period and maybe you chip away and you get one in the second or, or you know, get one early in the third to, to, to try and tie it. In, in, in soccer, it's a 2-0 disadvantage is very difficult to come yeah. back from. It's huge. I mean, that's how often do we see games that matches that, that finish with a scoreless draw or 1-0? Because it's so hard. Whenever yes. you get, whenever you see that, that uh, I don't know what you call it in in soccer, but when you see one like breakaway or whatever, it's it. People go insane because they're like, "Oh my gosh, something might might actually <laughs> happen," and I don't mean that in a negative sense. Sure, but it's a very strategic game, and it's uh, it's tough. But I know there are some dedicated fans who are up and at them. The, the pub down the hall opened at five. I think there's like forty or fifty people there. So and I know the the manager, he's got to be in a tight tight spot right now because he's full of it's a place full of Canadian fans, but he is an Australian transplant. Yes, so and you know I've been in those situations uh, living out west where I'm against the grain and and cheering either for the Blue Bombers, not so much the Jets, but certainly the Blue Bombers. Uh, versus at Calgary in particular when I lived there, mm-hmm. you know, going against the grain, and that was difficult. 2001 Grey Cup comes to mind. Mm. Mm, had had Stampeders. You were there. You were in Calgary. For no, that... that was it. I lived in Calgary oh. though, and I was a Stampeder season ticket holder because that was really at that time one of the only ways to guarantee yourself of a ticket to go and see the Blue Bombers. So. Uh, yeah, I don't want to think about that. That's a long time ago. Thank goodness we've won two Grey Cups since then. Yeah. You know, it sort of masks the pain of, of the Grey Cup uh, victory that should have been in 2001 against the 8 and 10 Stampeders. Okay, now I'm going down a whole despair here. <laughs> 
Let's just stop. <laughs> Let, let's shift gears. Let's talk about your your visit to Western Manitoba. Uh, you know, sort of my old stomping grounds. I have such an affection for Westman. And uh, you went somewhere for the very first time that I've often described as Manitoba's Banff. Yes. You finally got to Wasagaming. I finally got to Wasagaming, yes. The third edition of the New Nine uh, took us, took me and three of my buddies to, we started in Minnedosa, so we spoke with Patrick Law, who is the GM at Minnedosa Golf and Country Club uh, for our small town salute a week and a half ago, just to see how they have recovered after just getting pounded by flooding the year before one of many golf courses to to take it on the chin and you'd never know that it had been flood damaged it looked spectacular and that's a super fun golf course and i love the what i loved about the the views at that course it was such a unique manitoban experience because i don't think that you would see views like that anywhere else like you're so we're because but i'm all I, I just love the rolling hills first of all of western manitoba uh, being a Winnipeg guy, I'm used to flat. Uh, so not that, that not that that's always bad. Sometimes those big prairie skies are great, but getting into Westman and you get those hills, it's cool. And there's a lot of that, a lot of rolling fairways in Minnedosa. But you, when you stop and look around, you've got the bright yellow canola fields off in the distance, and then behind that, the, you know, the sort of the escarpment, the the valley, the peaks in the valleys, and then you've got like. Farm buildings and factories. What is the, there's one that, that gives off a smell of yeast. Yeah, that's the ethanol plant. Okay, in Minnedosa, that's been open. Gosh, t- almost twenty years now. And then the, there was a siren that kept going off, and we're like, "What is this? Are, are, are we going uh, under attack? Is there a tornado <laughs> coming?" No, you get the uh, you get the breakfast, or it's time to start your day. Siren, I think it's at eight. The town siren. The town siren. Uh, it does sound like an air raid siren, and it is unsettling if you're unfamiliar with the with the uh, order of business in Minnedosa. And then there's one, I think, at noon. Yep. And then again, 4.30 or 5 o'clock around there to indicate the the end of the day. When it is concerning is when it goes off at one of those other times, and that sometimes can mean or typically means that they're summoning the volunteer fire department. It it went off twice. Oh, yeah. And we teed off just before 1 o'clock, and it went off twice during our round of golf. And after the second one, didn't take long before we could hear sirens like uh, emergency vehicle sirens in the distance. So, But the, the, the experience overall in Minnedosa was fantastic. And we wrapped up the weekend in Nipoa, which is also a great golf course and a great little town. But the middle of it, we stayed in the Clear Lake region, in the Riding Mountain National Park, a place that none of us, all four of us, had never been into Riding Mountain, had never been to Clear Lake to play golf, had never seen the town of Wasagaming, and it was just one of those things where it had been hyped so much by every person I talked to. Oh, you're going to love it. You're going to love it. You're going to love it. And I thought, well, how good can it be? Uh, I felt like I was in a movie, like a Hallmark movie or something. That strip is, I felt, I said to my buddies, like, I could live here. It is beautiful. It's idyllic. It's amazing. It's Mackling and McGarry. McNabb is off this week. We've got a pair of tickets for Folklorama, which starts August 6th to the 19th. We want to feed your Folklorama FOMO. You don't want to miss out on your favorite pavilion. So we've got your ticket in. And it has to do with one of the things we were discussing earlier, which was my whirlwind trip through western Manitoba 
to kick off my vacation. Friday, last Friday, we played in Minnedosa. We played golf in Minnedosa. Saturday, we played at Clear Lake. Sunday, we played at Nipawa. Uh, by the way, if you're a golfer, pound for pound, I don't think you get better bang for your buck uh, from a trio of golf courses that are in such close proximity to each other than those three. They're all excellent golf courses for their own reasons, but... What we also what we wanted to discuss here was the fact that none of us had ever been to Clear Lake, to Wasagaming, to Riding Mountain National Park, and we were all just blown away at how I don't know why we were surprised by that by the fact that a national park is beautiful, but it was gorgeous. But it was the town Wasagaming, that little strip. What a friendly little strip with neat businesses and restaurants throughout. Just it, it's such a scenic town and it i i just felt like i didn't want to come home i was like i i'm ready to just live out here just give me a tent we'll live out <laughs> there's a lookout point i'll just go find somewhere in there and i'll be happy and then i can go to the white house and eat some <laughs> breakfast after but- excuse me sir but uh, you cannot live here on the 11th green on the golf course. The what other players are complaining that you're in the way. <laughs> what are you talking about? Just let me build a treehouse. 204-780-6868 for a chance to win those full Claremont tickets. A place you've been in Manitoba that surprised you at just how great it was. So let's go around the horn here. Tyson Rewicki, why don't we start with you, sir? Yeah, I'm, I'm honestly going to piggyback off that because I, I went to Clear Lake for my brother's bachelor party a couple years ago, and it was so awesome. That place, is, and it's just, there's so many spots, like if it, whether you want to go out for dinner or you want to go out later at night, like there's there's a little bit of everything there. And so I kind of fell in love with it, and I just can't wait to get back out there. And the golf courses, like you mentioned, they're so nice, so yeah. nice. Yeah, no, it was uh, it was just a spectacular experience overall, and I can't wait. It was so we had so much fun. Actually, we were adding a, another day next year uh, where we we won't golf in the middle. We're just gonna relax and. Where actually are you gonna explore. go next year? We're going back. Yeah, we're going back. Yeah, we're. We, I think we've decided that's our spot. Uh, we just want to make sure we have some time because we didn't even make it down to the lake, or like to the to the, <laughs> any, any sort of a beach. We just didn't really have time, so we want to make sure we have give ourselves the time to really explore. Uh, that wonderful region. Sarah McCarthy, what about you? Yeah, I have tons of places on my list to go to, including Clear Lake. But one place I went to before I lived in Manitoba was Morden. I was there for a hockey tournament when I was younger. And, uh, you know, you just fill the time in between games and the people are so nice there. Uh, we checked out the Canadian Fossil Discovery Center, which I did not know was home to Canada's largest marine fossil Ooh. collection. <laughs> And they have some big fossils, so pretty cool if you're there to check that out. And Copper Kettle Family Restaurant was a highlight, which according to Google is temporarily closed. Oh, so that's, that's good. upsetting. But I remember having amazing pierogies there. Did so. you go to the uh, Manitoba Baseball Hall of Fame as well? I did. Yeah, yeah. that, that yeah, is that's an also excellent, a good one. excellent stop. Yeah, so. You can spend uh, a couple hours in that yeah, place. It's need to really go back well to done. Yeah, Morden's more every time yeah. I go to Morden to play, it's always for golf to go to <laughs> Minnewasta. And then I think, why don't I budget more time to actually yeah. <laughs> visit this place? Look like, around. Play the play the round and then explore. But we're mm-hmm. always in such a rush to get home and get on with life. Greg, what about you? You must have a long list. Uh, I do, but the one that the first time I ever went to Wawanisa would have been in about nineteen ninety eight. 
on my way to visit my mom in Boisevane and made a stop in Wawanisa. I'd never been there, never played hockey there. And there's this incredible river valley that cuts through basically the backyard of Wawanisa. I believe it's the Suris River that creates this incredibly picturesque uh, vista overlooking this uh, river valley that takes you out of Manitoba, right? Once again, the uh, qualifier is, oh, I don't even feel like I'm in Manitoba when I'm in, you know, place X. And that is definitely a place there. And of course, to kind of see the the world or North American headquarters where Wawanisa Insurance literally started was pretty cool. It's it's a, it's a neat little town. It's a, a quite the place to to visit, and you'll be just kind of overwhelmed by the uh, the views that you that you get. Yeah, I'm just looking at the map now and watching the way the water just sort of carves around it and whatnot. Yeah, that'd be. I didn't know there was a place. <laughs> I, 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 my apartment insurance is through Wawanisa. But I never knew that it came from a place, a little town in Manitoba. That's now great. you know. <laughs> uh, Forte, what about you? For me, I love the white shell. And especially uh, my uncle, he has a cottage out at Brereton Lake. And it is beautiful out there. And I believe uh, it's the Trans-Canada Trail. And if you go on there, there's uh, it's, it's like, like a cliff almost. Like you're standing on top of a cliff and you can look above all these trees for as far as the eye can see. And it's just so beautiful. And then the, the lake itself is amazing. And uh, remember, there's a rock that was painted like a shark. We called it Jaws because it just pops out of the water and it looks exactly like a shark. Greg, you'd love that. Yeah, you'd I can't wait. Can you give me oh, the yeah. exact location so I can go check that out? You got it. No, it's just Burton Lake. It's just, it's beautiful. I haven't been there since I was a kid, but uh, such a beautiful little lake. And this is when we talk about this stuff and it's it when or when I take these little trips it's moments like this where I wish like I just I I have not seen enough of our province. I've seen a lot of it thanks to golf uh, where I get to explore it but uh I don't I haven't been to as many places as I would like. I haven't explored as many places. When I visited the Seven Sisters region where we stayed in one of the resorts um out there it was the first time we'd ever been through there. It's a tight drive uh, on parts of that road. Sure but is. once you get in there, it's gorgeous. Yeah, it's really neat. Uh, they need a golf course up at Steep Rock, Brett. Uh, Steep Rock. Yes. <laughs> That's right. I've never been up to Steep Rock. So 204-780-6868. What's a place in Manitoba where you visited it and were surprised or amazed at just how great it was, how beautiful it was, and have you been back? 204-780-6868 for a chance to win tickets for Folklorama, which starts on August 6th. We'll pick a winner at 915. It is Mackling and McGarry. McNabb is off today. Mayor Scott Gillingham joins us for a monthly visit at 735. And we're going to talk uh, amongst the list of things to discuss with him, crime. And we'll get into some of that in a moment. Uh, in case you're just wondering, the, the match is officially over. Australia has ended Canada's FIFA Women's World Cup campaign with a lopsided 4-0 win today. But... Um, before we get into the crime here, we just wanted to touch on something in Sarah's cast, Greg, and that has to do with the 
cinematic phenomenon known as Barbenheimer. Yeah, I mentioned to you I was doing the math in my head, and and that's always a mistake. But uh, I think if (laughs) numbers come across correctly from the get-go, they'd been talking about the fact that for every dollar that Barbie was going to bring in, Oppenheimer would bring in 50 cents. And that formula has worked almost, almost to the dollar. I'm exaggerating to make a point. Through these first two weekends of these two blockbusters coming out at the same time. And so when we were sitting here uh, listening to Sarah's newscast, I said to you, I said, do you think this is going to change the approach that some some movie distributors may have and give second thought to the idea of perhaps not shying away from releasing two potential blockbusters in the same weekend? I think so, particularly when they are such different styles of of movies. Like there was a time, I think it might have been for Justice League. I can't remember how many years are going back now, but I'm pretty sure it was Justice League. So that's the DC universe. And then they were they were talking about releasing their movie the same weekend as the an Avengers movie. And they were trying. It was like they were. It, it it was almost like it was they were trying to jockey for position, and on that sense, people were sort of irritated by that. They're just thinking, what are you doing? Like where your fans would go see both, but they're more likely to go see the Marvel one over the DC. And I don't know when you have two big superhero blockbusters in the same weekend, not sure that that would work, but maybe it would. I don't know after seeing this, but because they're so different, I think people turned it into an event and each of these films got a boost off of each other. And on the Couch Potatoes last week, Jeff Braun pointed out, my co-host, that there, I guess there, there's a group that's already caught on to the next double potential double bill. In September, I believe, there's a Paw Patrol movie coming out. And there's also the return of a popular horror franchise. So they've now dubbed that weekend Saw Patrol. <laughs> That's an interesting combination. Obviously, you're choosing one or the other in that case. But I'll often, you know, you're the movie guy. I am was the restaurant guy. And, of course, Olive Garden and Red Lobster, two of the more popular chain restaurants in North America, for a long time had positioned themselves on the same property, sharing the same parking lot, owned by the same corporation once upon a time, General Mills. I don't know what the situation is now, but the idea was that they were different enough that if you couldn't get into one, maybe you'd go to the other. Yeah, And that's why areas like Restaurant Row and in different parts of the city and different cities around the world work so well. Do you remember back in the day, just go, uh, do you want to do you want to meet on Corridan yep. to go for dinner? And then you just kind of go where you could get in. And so, you know, yeah, you want to go to a movie? Let's see what we can get in and see. Yeah. Sort of situation. I, I wonder if 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 we'll see that again. It is. a, But it, it's a it was an exciting weekend going in and seeing what's happened with these two movies has become a really exciting thing. And it's great for movies because there have been a lot of movies struggling uh, this season. So to see these two come in so huge is fantastic. Uh, In the meantime, more on the Couch Potatoes podcast comes out every Thursday afternoon and the show airs Saturdays and Sundays at noon on 680 CJOB. And don't forget to go to cjob.com for your chance to enter for a tickets and treats voucher for Grant Park of Landmark Cinemas for the Couch Potatoes.
In the meantime, we just want to touch on this here. Winnipeg business owners are once again demanding action as violent crime continues to surge in the city, causing public safety concerns and frustration. This comes after an employee at a local convenience store was shot while trying to prevent a man from stealing a drink last Tuesday morning. While the victim is now in stable condition, business owners around the city are taking notice and saying it's an extreme example of the consequences of the culture of crime they are seeing consistently and constantly. Global News reporter Catherine Dornian has more in this report. The theft of a drink almost turned deadly this week after police say a convenience store employee was shot confronting a shoplifter on Logan Avenue. While he's now in stable condition, business owners across the city say this is just an extreme example of the crime they're seeing constantly. Munther Zied, owner of Food Fair, says just last week staff caught a shoplifter and took him to the back room, but the situation quickly escalated. He ended up getting his hands on one of the knives that we use in the meat de- in the uh, produce department. It's a big, almost like a machete for cutting watermelon. Uh, the back room was cleared out instantly. Zeed says the man fled and was caught by police. Nobody was hurt, but staff and customers were left shaken. John Graham from the Retail Council of Canada says Winnipeg businesses have been seeing more violent crime across the board. These are incidents that are the worst nightmare for uh, retailers and those that are investing to create safe environments for shoppers uh, and for their employees. He says more and more businesses are even choosing not to expand into Winnipeg because of safety concerns. Ravi Rambaran, owner of Four Crowns Restaurant on McPhillips Avenue, says he's spending tens of thousands of dollars on security to deter property crime. Every part of the city, 24 hours a day, you know, middle of the day from middle of the night, first thing in the morning, we have people doing all kinds of crazy stuff simply because we don't have the resources to to deal with it. Rambaran wants to see more resources for police and tougher laws for repeat offenders. It's costing my employees their safety. We're having to protect ourselves in every area of the city. And that's just extremely sad, extremely sad. Both him and Zeed saying they need action immediately before the situation becomes even more dire. Catherine Dornian, Global News. So I think the big question here for for me, Brett, the mayor joins us after Global News at 7.30, as you mentioned. But one question we will have, like, when does this become an emergency or a crisis? When do we see action that reflects that sense? And is this impacting the choices you make, our listeners? are, are, Are you making different choices about where you go and when? Is crime impacting your life in a way that it has never before, even though you may have not been a, a direct a, a direct victim of crime? We'd love to hear from you. Question of the day at cjob.com. Have you ever witnessed someone shoplift or a robbery? 56% say yes, I saw it. 9% say yes, and I intervened. And 35% say no. Cast your vote, cjob.com. Traffic, weather, and some of your Manitoba gems. Next on The Start. It is Mackling and McGarry. McNabb is off this week. We're asking you this morning at 204-780-6868 for a chance to win Folklorama tickets. What's a place in Manitoba you have visited that surprised you with how great it is or that just simply amazed you? You knew it was going to be great and it still ended up defying your expectations. What does Shannon say, Greg? Lactabonian, any season is the most beautiful place you can go 
in any season. See the most amazing views from the water overlooking the multiple dams just outside of Pinawa is the suspension bridge with the most amazing hiking trails. Not to forget the most beautiful golf courses in and around the area. Pinawa Golf Course and Granite Hills. The super fun float in Pinawa. And every Saturday, uh, there is the most amazing farmer's market in the town of Lactobani. And fireworks every Canada Day. I've been there once. They are spectacular, Shannon. There isn't a time of year that you can't go to this area and find some something super amazing in the middle of winter. You can snowshoe the most amazing trails. You can snowmobile so many trails with well-kept, worn shelters. I can't say enough about this area. That's why I chose to move out of Winnipeg after 25 years and now live in this area and commute to Winnipeg every day to work. Well said. That's a solid endorsement. Shannon, mm-hmm. you should uh, contact the town authorities and get, get them to print that in there in a brochure or something. And I can confirm and concur that uh, Pinawa and Granite Hills are both amazing, spectacular golf courses. Some of the best views you'll get at any golf course. In the meantime, tell us a story about your favorite Manitoba gem for a chance to win those Folklorama tickets. We'll pick a winner at 9.15. The mayor joins us after Global News at 7.30, but Greg, what's coming up in sports? Well, if you didn't know by now, Australia breaks hearts across Canada and a Canadian athlete to keep an eye on ahead of the Olympics in 2024. It is Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb. McNabb is off this week. Coming up after Global News at 8, Bob Irving joins us to talk some football. Just how bad are the Elks? But right now, to start this half hour, we are joined in studio, Greg, by Mayor Scott Gillingham. Yeah, of course, last week, there were several events in our city which are highlighted and highlighting some of the challenges we face. One such concern is crime and attached to that violent crime and the number of crimes which have guns associated with them. On the same day, we were discussing the brazen nature of a convenience store worker being shot. We received the latest violent crime stats, which show Manitoba had the largest increase in the country on the crime severity index. And uh, Mayor Scott Gillingham joins us in studio this morning. And and Mayor, forgive me here, I'm just going to read this from one of our listeners. Loyal listener Wade, who lived in Winnipeg but now lives in Nova Scotia, confesses this. When people ask us about Winnipeg, we tell them that you cannot go downtown due to the violence. In addition, how that violence is moving out to the suburbs. And I had... My best friend was here from Calgary with his with his daughter's volleyball team for the National Volleyball Championships. And the number of people who had concerns about going out in downtown Winnipeg, this preconceived notion was alarming to the point some didn't want to go. He had to sort of talk them out of their room, so to speak. So at what point does this situation with crime venture into emergency or crisis status? Well, we have to drive the violent crime severity index down. It's it's too high in Winnipeg, and it, that takes a couple of things. One, it takes, obviously, allowing our officers the ability to uh, get to calls, and sometimes the, the, the calls for service are so high that uh, that our officers, um, you know, uh, we need to make sure that they're 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 able to to do their work to that only they can do. So that's where we need to work in partnership so that when there's social services calls, our officers are not going. We really need to make sure that those partnerships are available so that we can get social service agencies to the social services calls. But in the downtown, you know, we have right now the World Police and Fire Games going on. And if you've been in the downtown in the last two or three days, you'll see, there's a lot of people on the streets. When there's more people on the streets, we feel safer. And in fact, we are safer. 
So yes, we have you know a crime challenge in our downtown, but we need to make sure that we're making investments in it. And we are. I, I appreciate the, the investment the province of Manitoba is making to add 24 more foot patrol downtown to work in partnership with the downtown community safety uh, partnership as well. And so it needs to be addressed and uh, we need to continue to work on it. Are we allergic to that word though, emergency or crisis? And are we there? Just to reiterate that question. Well, anytime you've got one, you know, we as a city have one of the highest, if not the highest crime severity index in in the country. It needs to be addressed. You know, whatever name you want to put on it, uh, we're working on it and and needs we, we need to make sure that we are driving the crime rate down. Part of it as well is to make sure that um, those that are out, you know, in our community that are breaching their court orders right now, there's warrants out for them and they're breaching their court, uh, the, the court imposed restrictions that they are picked up off the street. If there are violent offenders on our streets right now that are breaching our court, you know, um, their court orders, they need to be um, arrested and, 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 you know, put back, uh, um, taken out of the community. And we're working on doing that. We've established, reestablished uh, with the province of Manitoba and the Winnipeg Police Service, the uh, the arrest warrant unit, and they've been successful. They've arrested um, several people. I know it's at the end of May. Uh, it was over 20 people that were in the community, violent offenders, breaching court orders. They've been picked up and taken back to prison. Switching gears to Shoal Lake 40, which has filed a lawsuit against the city. As you know, the First Nation says it is seeking compensation for the devastating impacts of Winnipeg's aqueduct. So we're curious, what does the compensation look like? Like, uh, Is it purely financial? Uh, it's not detailed. I, I read through the 13-page the um, claim, statement of claim. Uh, there's no number in there, and right now our staff, our, our our legal services department, is looking over the statement of claim, and uh, and we'll I'll get an update on that hopefully this week. What was the relationship like with Shoal Lake Forty? Obviously, there have been some some improvements there. There have been some partnerships. The the city obviously a partner in Freedom Road. So, is there a relationship there that maybe can? I don't know, can, can, can build in a more positive direction so things like this aren't necessary? I have a really good relationship with uh, Chief Kevin Redsky of, of, of Shoal Lake 40 and his band. In fact, I was just out at Shoal Lake 40 uh, First Nation just a few weeks ago, and uh, we, we had a, a really, really nice time. We had a tour of their water treatment plant, which is new since Freedom Road has been built. It was the first time I had driven Freedom Road, and I was really glad, you know, in, in my former life as a city councillor, to be on council when we put um, funding into that, $10 million into the development of Freedom Road. So I saw the the new water treatment plant and the new school. We have a good relationship and we'll continue to have a good working relationship. 14 people displaced by another Main Street fire. What are the implications for this? we got another fire on Main Street, more people out of their homes. Well, it's, you know, our fire crews have been really, really busy. And when we've got uh, fires, especially fires, for example, you know, on Main Street right now, there's fires and we've got, we've got burned out buildings. On Main Street, there's, uh, in February, there was a fire, three buildings in a row, three commercial buildings burnt. And those buildings are still there. The reason they're still there is because the province issued a stop work order uh, on the cleanup of them to deal with asbestos. And so anytime there's a fire, obviously we have concern for people if they're displaced, making sure that they get housing. Um, but when there's rubble and debris on those sites, we want those sites cleaned up as quickly as possible. Yeah, that's the psychological part of these things, right? For those that live, work, 
um, that are in that part just driving through. It makes Winnipeg look like a, a place that, that we don't necessarily want to be. Uh, listener Brad with this question for you, Mr. Mayor. When you have the mayor on this morning, can you please ask him when the transit security uh, that was announced in the spring will be beginning? Thanks for the question, Brad. The We're, we're right on track to have transit security officers Community safety officers, what we're calling them, community safety officers, on buses and around bus stops by the end of this year. What we're doing right at this moment is hiring a service lead, so the individual who oversee this program and then ultimately hire these individuals and get them trained. Uh, I know my staff has been working with the province of Manitoba as far as determining what level of training um, will be put in place. But So right now we're in the hiring process to get the, the service lead in place. Do we have any clip more clarity or can you share with us uh, what responsibilities, what I hate to use the word powers, but for lack of a better word, powers that, that these officers will have in terms of helping keep those that are on and around transit infrastructure safe? Well, those, those details come out, you know, shortly, but what those uh, community safety officers will be doing is making sure they de-escalate situations, make the bus stops secure, make the buses secure and safe as well for, for, uh, uh, for transit users and for transit drivers. I mean, you think of it, we have, trans, uh, we have hundreds and hundreds of transit operators. That's their office. That's where they work every day. So we're going to make sure it's safe for them as well. So these will be highly trained individuals, and we expect that they'll be calling you know, 211 to get help for individuals who need social services help as often as they're calling 911. So they'll be working in partnership with the Winnipeg Police Service, Downtown Community Safety Partnership, but with third-party agencies as well that are providing social services for individuals. You mentioned the world police and fire games in town and that the, the, the thousands of people that it's bringing to the community. I think that's good. But we've also seen, uh, you know, the, the good, the bad and the ugly, right? Like it's, uh, these games come with some controversy and as a result, some protests. So that's got to be a, a tricky situation to balance, no? Well, we live in a country where peaceful protest is allowed, and, and uh, you know, I, I, I support that. But it is, uh, the World Police and Fire Games has been very good for the city of Winnipeg already. Uh, I've met several people from different parts of, of the world who are really, really enjoying Winnipeg. And they're in the downtown, and they're loving, you know, our, our, our city. I met one couple from Germany yesterday uh, that said that once they're done, uh, the World Police and Fire Games are participating. Once they're done, um, they're going to stay in Manitoba for a week, and they're going to tour our different parks around Manitoba. So this is very good for tourism. It's very good for our economy, our local economy. The restaurants are busy. The hotels are full. People are checking out the Canadian Museum for Human Rights, the Winnipeg Art Gallery. It's just good news all around. Yeah, you have a chance to maybe build some ambassadors uh, for our city in a time when we need need that. Really quick, uh, some might ask, what was the city's investment and in, in part uh, of these games dollar-wise? Can you, can you give us a number on that? It was uh, about $950,000 of the value in kind. So we provided, for example, uh, we provided an office space at City Hall for the World Police and Fire Games to set up. It was a space that we weren't using. And we're, we're providing some other kind of value in kind services as well. And then before we let you go, unless you had a follow-up, Sea uh, Bears, the Winnipeg Sea Bears, they had another sellout, the biggest crowd in the teams and league history on Saturday night with over 8,200 fans. And the playoff game versus Edmonton, they're looking for a rematch because they lost yeah, that game on Saturday. So hopefully they'll win on Friday in their first ever playoff game. But uh, 
Could you have imagined that this team would be as successful as it has been thus far? No, it's, this has been a great success. What a, what a great story, the Sea Bears. The games are fun. They're entertaining. The players are having a good time. I had the, the opportunity to meet with the players and the coach uh, just last week. I stopped in at one of their practices, and the players are loving Winnipeg. They are really, really appreciative of, of the fan support uh, that we're that they're getting here in Winnipeg, and so we're really excited to you know uh, to see them play on Friday night and wish them great luck in the playoffs as well. And, and um, I want to thank all the fans and hopefully we can, you can pack as many into Canada Life uh, Centre as possible. Well, how much of a boon was it too that they were able to secure playing out of Canada Life Centre? It's been great. Once again, great for our downtown. You, you know, I was talking to, uh, I just heard the other day that, you know, someone that was their first time in Canada Life Centre. They've been in Winnipeg a long time. First time in Canada Life Centre because the draw was the Sea Bears. Uh, maybe they're not a hockey fan, but they're certainly a, uh, a basketball fan. So, so this has been great for our community, and we wish them a long and, and deep run and, and all the best of luck. I want to take one moment just to thank volunteers across the city, because whether it's Folk Fest, the Fringe Fest, Folklorama's coming up really soon, World Police and Fire Games, thousands upon thousands of Winnipeggers are giving their time and energy to be volunteers to make these events successful. And I just want to give a shout out to the volunteers today. Thank you. Yeah, that really does represent the best of us. Couldn't agree with you more, Mayor Gillingham. Thanks as always for your time. Thank you. Winnipeg Mayor Scott Gillingham joining us live on 680 CJOB for our monthly visit. It's Mackling and McGarry. McNabb is off this week, and I was off last week, and that's inspiring our contest question this morning for Folklorama. We've got Folklorama tickets to give away, and we're asking you about a place in Manitoba, which when you visited it, you could not believe just how amazing it was. And that was the reaction that the four of us had when we finally, none of us had ever visited Riding Mountain National Park, and we stayed uh, right out, basically, I guess, right inside Wasagaming, and we're fifteen minute, fifteen minute walk down the road from their main strip, which was it was like this idyllic, just perfect little town. It was so special, and just the surrounding region was scintillatingly beautiful, Manitoba. But yeah, we were just we we knew it was good. We're still blown away. Yeah, I love that uh, when I moved to Calgary and people rave about uh, Stampede, and I'm like, oh, come on. How good could it be? It's every bit as good as it's promised. And uh, sounds like Wasagaming is, as well as Amanda answering our question this morning, saying that uh, her pick is also in western Manitoba. One of the more shocking and breathtaking spots has to be Spruce Woods Provincial Park, the beautiful sand dunes, rolling hills, and of course, the Devil's Punch Bowl was quite unexpected. We went for the first time about five years ago, and I couldn't believe it. Absolutely amazing. Who would have thought we had a mini desert right here in Manitoba? My sister loves to go to Spruce Woods, and she she loves to, to take pictures of wildlife and of nature. And her pictures are actually often freak or uh, featured on Global Winnipeg in their evening newscast. And, and, and that's no influence of yours. No. It just I, I happens actually, to happen that way. No one's ever said anything to me either. I don't know that any of them have made the connection that, we're, that this is my sister. But she also even got one, and I think it was of Spruce Woods, and the Devil's Punch Bowl on uh, Global National as well. How about well. that? So, but uh, that that's a spot that I would love to visit. I did when I first heard about this Devil's Punch Bowl. I remember just I think we featured it as part of our small town salute. I'd never heard of it. Just when like 
I saw a meme the other day that said it was just somebody in a car and it said Europeans. I just drove through three countries in 45 minutes. <laughs> right. And then Canadians. I just drove north for 12 hours and I'm still in my province. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> There's just so much to explore. Yeah, we, we forget sometimes how lucky we are and just how vast this country is. And in Manitoba, just see so much and in a short period of time. So just imagine one of our listeners talking about uh, way north. We'll share that text message with you in the next hour. Keep those coming for a chance to win those Folklorama tickets. We're going to pick a winner at 9.15. The word winner simply can't... You couldn't even go further opposite when it comes to the football team we're about to discuss. It is Mackling and McGarry. McNabb is off this week. This morning we saw the Canadian women's soccer team... Or football team, if you prefer, lose 4-0 to Australia. Well, we want to switch to a different kind of football. Of course, the one involving the Winnipeg Blue Bombers, who got back to work yesterday, getting ready for what is a huge game with the BC Lions Thursday night at IG Field. Yeah, the Lions are now 6-1. and one. The Blue Bombers sit at 5-2. and two. We welcome broadcasting legend, our good friend Bob Irving, back to the start. Bob, good morning. Good morning, Greg and Brett. How are you guys? Doing well. Uh, Still 11 games to play, but would it be an overstatement to suggest a second loss to BC would set up a big challenge for the Blue Bombers in their quest to host the West Final? And God forbid we start talking about things that might or might not happen in November, but I think that's where we are, Bob. Yeah, I think it's safe to say that. They, you know, the Bombers are 5-2, and two, BC 6-1. and one. What's at stake, really, on Thursday night is the season series. If BC wins the game, uh, they'll have beaten the Bombers twice, and there's one more game between them later in the year out in Vancouver. Uh, but the Lions would have the season series, and then they'd be 7-1 versus 5-3, and three, and then a lot of ground to make up for the Bombers if that happens. So as big as any game can be before the midway point of the season, this certainly would be one of great significance for any team that wants to host the West Final, which the Bombers have done the last three years, and that's been uh, you know, a key, I think, to them getting to the Great Cup, and Mike O'Shea would say as much. Having the home field advantage in the West Final is very important, and so this game Thursday looms large for sure. Now, BC shut out Edmonton for the second time this season, 27-0 yeah. at Commonwealth Stadium. That's the Elks' 21st consecutive loss at home. Just a, a monumental fall from grace for one of the most storied franchises in the CFL. So just how bad are the Elks? Well, Brett, it's hard to find the words to describe what's going on there. Uh, to lose 21 home games in a row is almost inconceivable. Uh, the Elks are such a mess that I don't even know what to say about them anymore. And it doesn't look like they're going to make any major changes. How Chris Jones, the head coach and general manager, still has his job is beyond me. Uh, they keep trotting out Taylor Cornelius at quarterback, and, and he just struggles game after game. Uh, they're in a bye week right now, and you know, Jones said, we're going to examine everything we're doing. Well, I would hope so. <laughs> I don't know what answers they can come up with. I really don't. It just, I think back to the days in the 70s and 80s when the Eskimos then, as they were called, won five great cups in a row. And as you say, Brett, they've always been one of the model franchises in the CFL. And it's not just this year. This goes back three years now where they've been 
not just bad, but terrible. And so I, I don't know what's going to happen there. Um, you know, the Bombers play there next week. And I think every team that plays them now, the fear would be they'd be the first team to lose to Edmonton. Uh, and maybe the Elks won't win a game this year. I don't know. But, uh, yeah, it's pretty sad. It's sad for them and for the league what's going on there. Well, and how, just how bad is it for the league to have that team be struggling so badly? Well, I guess the good news is, you know, that franchise has resources, although they've certainly used up a lot of them in the last couple of years. But, uh, you know, they shouldn't be in any trouble in terms of their survival. But any time a league has a team that is not competitive, and the Elks have been competitive in some of their games, it's just not good. It, you know, it, I think it casts a pall over the entire league, and every time they play or every city they go into, there's not a lot of interest in going to the game because of who they're playing. So, you know, it's just not good for any league to have a team, especially a nine-team league, a team, a team that's this bad. Although I will say this, every time they play, I'm quite curious to watch them to see if this is going to be the week where they win a game. So maybe there's something in terms of an attraction there that uh, is above and beyond the, the horrible state that they're in. Morbid curiosity, yeah, perhaps, there you go. Bob. That's, thank you. Thank you, Greg. <laughs> anytime, Bob. Anytime I can help you out, I'm happy to do it. You've been doing it with me for long enough. I can return the favor from time to time. Look, at Cal, between Calgary and Edmonton, two wins. Uh, we can all... I agree. I think that the heartbeat and the, the heart of the CFL for so long has been Edmonton, Calgary, Saskatchewan, and Winnipeg. Saskatchewan has three wins. Saskatchewan on six points. Calgary, four. And then you look to the east. Montreal, Hamilton, Ottawa all have six points. Is this the year we see an east team cross over to the west in the playoffs? Well, that possibility is there. Again, Greg, we're not to the halfway point of the season, so who knows what's going to happen as we go along here. But that possibility would seem more realistic now than it has in any year in recent times. And I look at the Rough Riders. You know, they've lost their quarterback, Trevor Harris. Mason Fine is struggling. Uh, they're going to have a tough time as the year goes on. Calgary's 2-5 and five now, and they haven't had a losing record since 2007. I still see them as a team that needs to be reckoned with in the West. But, yeah, with uh, the way things are going right now, you'd have to say an East crossover is certainly a possibility, more so than it's been in a long time. And the Argos, you know, are 6-0, and and uh, they had a big win over Saskatchewan on the weekend. I looked at the schedule the other day, and Toronto and Winnipeg only play once this year, and it's here in Winnipeg in October. And that's a long way off, but I can't wait for that game to see uh, how the Bombers and Argos are going are gonna to fare when they play each other. But, uh, yeah, an East crossover to the West, wouldn't that be something? That's, uh, you know, an occurrence that has not developed for a long time. Yeah, I don't know if it's ever happened, but, yep. uh, uh, Bob, uh, really quick here. Uh, the Sea Bears, are you surprised at all with their box office success? You were around in the days of the of the Winnipeg Thunder. I've always said that their lack of success or the fact they didn't survive didn't really have to do with this market, just the leagues they were involved in. Well, I've been to three of the Sea Bears games, and it's incredible the atmosphere that they've created in their inaugural season in the CEBL. Uh, yeah, I think the crowds they've drawn have astonished everybody, including their owner, David Asper. He had no idea this would be this successful. They had 8,000, over 8,000 there the other night. I think part of it is the venue. 
You know, if they were playing at the U of M or, you know, a smaller facility like that, I don't think they'd have had the crowds they have. Certainly not 8,000 because you couldn't put that many in the U of M. But they're playing in Canada Life Center, which I think is part of the reason they've drawn such big crowds. But obviously there, there's a basketball crowd out there that's been waiting for something like this. And, of course, they've put on a great show. I mean, the games last two hours. There's a buzz all evening long when you're in there. It's really a special thing they've created. And now we'll see if they can. I know they lost the other night and lost a chance to, you know, have a key playoff game. They'll play a play-in game in, in a few days. But, yeah, their success has been stunning and a really a happy, happy story. Bob Irving, thank you so much. As always, sir, a pleasure. Okay, guys, I watched the highlights of that Canada-Australia game. Wow, did Canada ever get pasted. Man, oh, man, nobody saw that coming, I can tell you that. Yeah, it was it was tough to watch. It was tough to watch this morning as the Canada's Canadians lost four nil to Australia. That playoff game, by the way, Friday night at Canada Life Center for the Sea Bears. Tickets are on sale and they are going fast. It is Mackling and McGarry. McNabb is off this week. Folklorama FOMO. You don't want to miss Folklorama. You don't want to miss your favorite pavilion. We're asking you this morning. What's your favorite Manitoba gem? Like a place that you have visited and were surprised by just how cool it was. What does Jones say, Greg? Best place I have been in Manitoba for the summer of 2012. I worked for Parks Canada at York Factory National Historic Site. It is at the mouth of the Hay River where the Hay meets the Hudson's Bay. About 100 kilometers south of Churchill, access is only by boat and float plane. The earth was bogged, the polar bears were plentiful, and the historic and the history fascinating. Canada Day was especially hot that year, too cool off a co-worker and I took the motorboat and went out to the Hudson Bay. The water was flat, calm, and for two hours we sat and listened to beluga whales coming to the surface for air. It was the most beautiful, peaceful, and amazing experience I have ever had. Too bad you could only do it for two hours. Uh, I would have sat there all day long. So we need you to keep telling us your stories at 204-780-6868 for a chance to win those Folklorama tickets. We're going to pick a winner at 9.15 because this is all inspired by the fact that for my week off, we started it in Westman. We went out and had a, a trifecta of golf Minnedosa, Clear Lake, and Nipua, three of my favorite courses of all time now, as it turns out, because Clear Lake was the first time we played, but it was that whole region, the Riding Mountain National Park, the town of Wasagaming, and of course, the golf the golf course. We've just, I, I thought, I can't, all I've ever heard about this region is hype, 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 hype. It can't be that good, can it? Yep. Yep. It was amazing. How often are you disappointed by a place that somebody says, oh, it's so good, it's unforgettable, and it happens. the superlative, it does happen. And I'm just so happy, uh, uh, grinning ear to ear here, just realizing and and comprehending the fact that you were genuinely blown away, even though everybody had been telling you how great it was going to be, because that is difficult, that meeting that expectation. You know, it's like Disneyland, right? Happiest place on earth. Yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> Pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> so keep those stories coming for a chance to win. We're going to pick a winner at 9.15. What looks like another nice day. Mackling and McGarry McNabb is off this week. 
So the summer musical chairs continues as we, and we, we got to take our vacation. We like gotta to take them it. in the summer. Yeah, I got to, I got to find a few days too. Yeah. Before, we'll, uh, before winter comes around here. <laughs> okay. Well, I'll have to figure that out. Cause I got to take another week off next month too. And Lorenz <laughs> probably got uh, the more days we got to take. So yeah. But, um, in our next segment, we are going to be giving away tickets to see Folklorama, which starts on August 6th, runs to the 19th, one of the premier festivals that happens in our community. And we're asking you to tell us about a just like a Manitoba gem, like a spot that you visited for the first time and couldn't believe how great it was. For me, that was this past week. I've never been to Riding Mountain National Park. I've never played golf at Clear Lake. I've never seen the town of Wasagaming. I've heard nothing but awesome things about it. I just, I, I, nothing could have prepared me for how terrific it was, especially that, that little strip in the town that looks like something out of a, out of a movie. Like just a, it was such a perfect little place. And I just said to my buddies, I want to move here right now. <laughs> you didn't get to a movie to the movie theater, I guess. No, the park theater. Yeah, there was an ad like the cabin we were staying in had a, had uh, the calendar of films on the the fridge, and when we saw the theater, like what a beautiful looking like it's like a little giant log cabin. I would have loved to have. Go, next year, we're actually going to add a, a, an extra day because it was Friday, Saturday, Sunday, so we golfed all three days and then came home. Uh, we're going to add an a, uh, an extra day where we have the time to just chill out. So, what does Gail have to say about Churchill? Well, Gail has some incredible adventures that she shares with us via email because she doesn't she doesn't do texting where she lives. She can't she can't text. Doesn't oh. have shouldn't have sufficient coverage. She's uh, told us before that if you're uh, talking to her on her cell phone, she's probably out in the middle of a field. Okay. So she's had some great adventures and says, "I was lucky enough to see Churchill when I worked for Via. I got a tour of a Polish grain ship." I saw belugas, polar bears, and the U.S. NORAD station, just just the outside of that. I've put my toes in the bay, got to see the old fort, and met lots of interesting people. It is a must-see for all Manitobans, the best homemade bucklicks, Inuit art, and a great museum to walk through. Cool. Okay, another vote for Churchill. So, Gail, thank you for that, and we will pick our winner in our next segment. And on the subject of festivals... And it's been a busy, uh, busy season. Especially, feels like the busiest in years as everything's kind of gotten back to normal. But uh, we've got what do we have this weekend? So Gimli has their Icelandic festival, and Brett, you've got the Icelandic pronunciation down, according to many of our listeners, almost perfectly. Islandingadagarin. So that is an annual celebration of Icelandic culture, the interlake itself, an opportunity to get together, an excuse to go to Gimli because you need an, you need an excuse to go to Gimli or <laughs> Winnipeg Beach or Matlock or that area. Dauphin, of course, been in the national headlines in our news uh, for the last several weeks for what I would say is all the wrong reasons, well, a celebration of their Ukrainian heritage and culture. The National Ukrainian uh, Festival goes this 
coming up weekend, the long weekend up in Dauphin. And that is going to have, I would think, Brett, some added implications and added uh, special feelings because of what we'd seen in our province over the last uh, 18, 19 months. And that's that influx of, of Ukrainians, uh, Ukrainian refugees to our province. Yeah, so that should be a special time. So we'll seek to have somebody on to, to talk about that. We saw that they were in conversation with Global News Morning today. And of course, Folklorama starts on Sunday, August 6th and runs through the 19th. And that's, I think that's a really great way to kind of take the take the world tour in two weeks or less because not everybody can afford to just get on a plane and go to Belgium. But you can go to the Belgian club if they for their for their Belgian. Why I should actually confirm they actually have a pavilion. What? Why, why did you pick Belgium? I picked Belgium Brett. because I like their beer. <laughs> I, I had a sense, <laughs> a suspicion, shall we say, that that was the reason. But it was it was I think it was the one that that popped to head or popped to mind because while we if we enjoyed the 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 pavilion. And it was funny because what would happen is somebody would come out, and this was like, we're going back probably ten years. Now, now. this is at the Belgian club on on Provence. Yeah. Okay. So the uh, when we went to it, I don't know, ten years ago, there. Um, I don't, oh, I don't see a Belgian pavilion. This. Oh yeah, it's the week of August thirteenth to the nineteenth. So they uh, at the time, a woman would come out and and tell a story, and uh, the first story happened to be about this town and and about their beer. And then some kids would come out and, and sing, do a little song and dance. And then the woman would come out and tell another story about a down their small town and beer. And then the kids <laughs> would come out and do another song. And then the woman came out and told the third song and or told the third story. And it was about some other small town and beer. And, <laughs> and, and I thought I, it was actually quite fascinating because I think there are over a thousand towns in Belgium and each each of them has their own specific beer and their own specific glass. Their own specific glass. I didn't know that. Now, originally it was all monks, right, in, in monasteries that that, yeah. that that made beer, correct? Yeah. Okay. And I think, that, and uh, I, I don't know if it's still the case, but I remember there was a few years ago, Manitoba was able to get its hands on some super rare limited edition beer and it was mega expensive and it was from that monastery. I remember that. Yeah. I don't, Didn't we I, have someone in the studio maybe to talk about that? Maybe. Could that goes back as far uh, as our afternoon show. Well, I think it goes back maybe even a little bit further. Really? They might've done since done it again. Okay. I, I seem to remember it happening years and years and years ago, but I could be wrong. But anyway, that's why. And, but also why I picked that is because I got to go downstairs and learn about the, the Belgian bowling I don't think that's its actual name, but that that's sort of how they summed it up. And then we, and then my buddy and I later went and played it in the Belgian club. Super fun. Yeah, so. it's a it's a great cultural experience. The largest festival of its type in the world. It is Mackling and McGarry McNabb is off this week. We are asking you to celebrate a spot in Manitoba when when you visited it for the first time that it blew you away, that you were surprised at just how much it blew you away. And for me, it's the Riding Mountain, Wasagaming, Clear Lake region. I finally got, finally got to see it. I uh, went with three friends. None of us had ever been up there. And Clint says... I'm listening to you 
Live from Wasagaming, and I enjoy your show. Everything you have said about Clear Lake and Wasagaming is spot on. I live in Calgary now, but I come back each summer to enjoy the lake. So, I Clint, love, that's great. I love how many Albertans come back to Manitoba or Northwest Ontario in the summertime. One of our listeners uh, says we took our boys 11 and 13 to Pinawa for tubing on Friday, and it was excellent. The view while floating down the river was absolutely stunning, and I would recommend it for any family. Take your kids on an adventure. You can't lose. Make memories. The kids were a little hesitant to go, but couldn't be more thankful once it was over. This listener says we are going back. The funny thing about the tubing in Pinawa is anytime I golf at Pinawa, there I can't remember which hole it is, maybe the eighth hole, it doesn't matter. But there's always one hole where you can look down, sort of like you're standing at the edge of this rock, and you can look down and see the tubers. And on a hot day, you might think, kind of wish I was down there. But I guarantee you, if I was in that tube... And then I looked up to see the golfers Wish standing I was there. Up there. <laughs> so <laughs> can't win, McGarry. Got it. So I'll have to just pick a day to do both. Oh, that's a good call. There we go. They're just like going, people going to see Barbie and Oppenheimer the same day. <laughs> you can do tubing golf and, and golf. Tubing. There you go. <laughs> what does James say? Uh, boys, take a trip up Highway Six. Every town has something to offer. The further you go, the better options from Little Limestone to uh, Little Limestone Lake. Pardon me to Piss You Falls. Hope I said that all right. <laughs> I don't and know. Paint Lake. <laughs> I often pick a highway. I know it's a place. I just don't know if I said it correctly. I often pick a highway each year and drive it beginning to end with my wife just to explore how lucky we are to have these little hidden gems. Uh, brilliant, brilliant suggestion, James. But our winner today is Joan, who says, For the summer of 2012, I worked for Parks Canada at York Factory National Historical Site. It is at the mouth of the Hayes River where the Hayes meets the Hudson's Bay, about 100 kilometers south of Churchill. Access is only by boat and float plane. The earth was bog, the polar bears were plenty, and the history fascinating. Canada Day was especially hot that year. To cool off, a co-worker and I took the motorboat, went out to the Hudson's Bay, and the water was flat calm, and for two hours we sat and listened to beluga whales coming to the surface for air. It was the most beautiful, peaceful, and amazing experience I have ever had. Joan, that's a that's a difficult picture that you've painted for us to not agree with. So you win the tickets. You will not have Folklorama FOMO this year. You're going to Folklorama. Uh, in the meantime, Greg, what's coming up in sports? Well, FOMO for Team Canada has turned into reality. Canada is out at the Women's World Cup, but another Canadian shines bright in Japan. It is Mackling and McGarry. McNabb is off this week. In a moment, we're going to talk about one of the biggest festivals in the summer that just wrapped up. Before that, Greg, on the we were in our previous half hour, we were talking about the number of festivals occurring throughout southern Manitoba over the August long weekend. And Harry with a reminder, hey guys, don't forget about... Ah, how did I forget about this? I spent every long August long weekend for a decade or more in Minidosa. So rock in the fields of Minidosa goes 
this weekend. Kickaxe is going to be there. Uh, Sebastian Bach with uh, Skid Row is scheduled to attend. Uh, many, many others. That's just off the top of my head. So that's a lots of great times to be had in August long weekend, no matter where you are in southern Manitoba. And for the last couple of weeks, there have been all kinds of great times to be had right here in Winnipeg. Greg, courtesy of the Winnipeg Fringe Theatre Festival. Chuck McEwen is the executive producer of the Winnipeg Fringe Theatre Festival and joins us now. Chuck, you're still awake. You're still alive, my friend. You betcha. It's always a long trek through the fringe, but, uh, you know, we're, we're, we're doing okay. You, admit you did it again. We did. Yes, you bet. So how are you feeling right now? Are, are, are you looking back, uh, you know, getting ready for next year, or are you just looking back saying, wow, we did another uh, bang-up job? Well, you know, uh, we have a great team of about 800 volunteers and about 90 to 100 staff, and they work so hard over the course of three, four weeks uh, just putting the festival together. And, you know, seeing all the fringers out having a great time makes it all worthwhile. And would you say this one felt maybe the, the most normal or perhaps even freeing uh, since the before times? Well, you know, we were on a two-year COVID recovery plan. I think we got very close to getting back to our sort of 2019 sort of average numbers because we still don't have the same number of performing companies we had in 2019, but it felt the closest. Uh, and so we're hoping for next year we'll be back to where we were before all the craziness started. <laughs> Any idea about attendance? Not yet, but I'll have those numbers uh, this afternoon. Uh, we're just still getting everything into the computer and double-checking it. We want to make sure we pay the performers what, they're, what they earned. Uh, I'm not sure if you're aware, but the performers receive 100% of the box office revenue they generate for their shows. Well, and that account, you know, that, that makes sense uh, with all the hustling they do in between their performances to, to get folks out and into those venues, right, Chuck? Oh, my God. You know, we had 142 indoor shows. That's a lot of competition, but it's friendly competition because, of course, we want fringers out there not seeing one show, but seeing 5, 10, 20 shows. We have some fringers see over 40 shows every summer. Well, and you talk about that hustling, Greg, and, and I wonder if this was part of what, what one of the things that I noticed uh, last, I don't know if it was this past Thursday or the one before that, but I was at the King's Head on a Thursday afternoon. And three women came in who were quite clearly part of the the Fringe Festival. They were wearing uh, like barbarian costumes, and they were well, they were rather scantily clad. And uh, and I, they they were beautiful women. And then I happened to notice on the wall of the pub they were here for their show, the Barbarian Bombshells. And I'm sure them just walking around was enough advertising to get some people to, to go check them out. But it's my understanding that they're from Texas. So how many performers come from away, so to speak, to participate in this thing? Yeah, yeah. Well, they're one of our international touring artists. So the Fringe had this year 142 companies. About half are from outside of Manitoba, about 20. 20% come from U.S. and around the world. We had artists from England, Australia, Germany, South Africa, uh, the Netherlands this year. So uh, Winnipeg is a hot touring spot for fringe artists, that's for sure. All right. So uh, we've been listing off the variety of things that are going on around southern Manitoba. Like some sure. of the biggest events of the summer are taking place or getting started or in the midst of including the world police and fire games did that help that convergence that you know that uh, thousands of people coming into the city over the last several days do you did that show up in attendance numbers uh, either on the free stage or, or elsewhere chuck 
Well, yeah, they they started up. I think this this our closing weekend, and I think we did see a few extra bodies running around Old Market Square Park, taking some of the free activities. But of course, they were busy getting psyched up to to compete. But I think anything that brings people downtown to Winnipeg. Uh, is a great thing. I mean, like you said before, there's the Jazz Fest, the Fringe Fest, Soka Reggae. we got Folkorama starting up, Kids Fest. I mean, the summer is just so amazing in Winnipeg, and the Fringe is just uh, happy to be a part of it. Is there, like at the end of the festival, are, are there anything, any awards, or is there, is there a champion show declared, <laughs> so to speak? Well, that's, that's the thing. We are producers, presenters. We don't put on the shows, so we have to promote every show equally throughout the festival. So as, as far as I'm concerned, they're all winners if they do their show successfully and people are out having a great time. There are always, you know, the super hits. People have to get that ticket kind of a thing. But for me, the biggest thing is the surprising new first-time artists that you've never seen before that you discover, as well as just seeing the lineups of fringers out there sharing tips on all the shows they've seen over the course of the 12 days. I was blown away. At, uh, we had you on the show, I think it was on Monday, Chuck, mm-hmm. and it, Monday I came down out of the parkade and onto Albert Street, and I guess there's a venue, or was a venue on Albert Street, yep. 11.30. There must have been at least a dozen people in line waiting to get inside to see a show and then just that presence of people like people beget people right this yep. just this whole idea of people lining up for shows and and collecting as many uh, appearances or pardon me performances as they can throughout the week or out of the over the 10 11 days it's it's simply outstanding yeah, you know, I, I consider the Fringe one of, like a community builder, right? Seeing that hustle and bustle, mm. the excitement in the exchange, people running from venue to venue, the sidewalks full of people, it really brings out what, you know, what the exchange has become and can be in the future with more people living and working downtown. Chuck McEwen is the executive producer of the Winnipeg Fringe Theatre Festival, joining us live on 680 CJOB. And just uh, before we let you go, Chuck, the... The two weeks, that's that that's always been the standard, right? Like, has there any, ever been any thought, perhaps, to extending it? Well, we're going 12 days right now, and, you know, the, fringe, the Winnipeg Fringe is part of a touring circuit across Canada and a little bit into the state, so we follow the Toronto Fringe right after us. There's the Saskatoon and Calgary Fringe, and after that, Edmonton, then Victoria, Vancouver. So it's hard to extend your dates when artists, a lot of them, want to go to the next festival. So I think for now, 12 days, maybe down the road we can expand it to a third weekend. Are you sharing any secrets? with uh, Saskatoon and Toronto to how to grow their festival or, or are you keeping the secret sauce a, a little bit of a mystery there? Like uh, Colonel oh, Sanders no. uh, herbs and spices. <laughs> no secret sauce. You know, uh, we want there to be more fringe festivals and bigger and better fringe festivals in every community. And so we all get together, all the festival producers on a regular basis and share ideas and tips because we want to do, we want to provide better services for the patrons, performers, volunteers, and we can only learn from each other. So uh, every community should have a fringe festival, no matter how big it is, in my opinion. And Winnipeg's is one of the biggest of its kind sure. anywhere, isn't it? We're the second largest in North America. Us and the Edmonton Fringe are the two largest in North America, which just shows something about the, the prairie spirit in our, in our communities. You know, it's uh, it's incredible that, you know, we have so many people in Winnipeg and Manitoba who just love to support independent artists go out and support theater dance you name it and that's what's made us the largest second largest festival in north america is it's the community they really want to come out see some shows and support the artists so chuck your energy and your executive and everybody that works to make this a a success 
our hats off to them. Everyone who purchased tickets, obviously, without the ticket ticket buying public, this festival doesn't go. But we had the mayor on this morning at 735, and one of the last things he did was give a shout-out to the volunteers. Mm-hmm. How many volunteers and, and just how impossible is it for this thing to go off uh, without people giving up their own time to be a part of this? Oh, my, we have between 750 and 80 volunteers putting in around 15,000 hours of their time to support the artists in the festival. We sell, they sell our tickets, they work in our beverage gardens, they work at our information services. We can't put on the festival without volunteers. They're, they're really a reason for our success. Chuck McEwen is the producer of the Winnipeg Fringe Theatre Festival. Chuck, thank you so much. Congratulations on another successful year. Look forward to doing it again next summer. And it was indeed just wandering through the exchange district and seeing all the people, as you pointed out, Greg, early in the day, uh, didn't matter, just uh, seeing the activity and the exchange district come to life during this festival uh, is a special thing every year. I just still marvel at how that festival transforms what is already one of my favorite parts of the city. Chuck said it perfectly there, just of what Winnipeg is, that part of the city the exchange is and can be. And I always find myself uh, looking back at the at Portage and Main at the skyscrapers and squinting a little bit because it's just one of those visuals that just makes you go, yeah, Winnipeg is 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 a big time place when it wants to be. Mm-hmm.